Robert Pattinson shuts all his haters up with a vulnerable and terrifying performance in Matt Reeves' The Batman. Yes, that's right, folks. It's time for The Batman. That is your new film, Gigantic Numbers, I'm sure, at the box office. Everyone's talking about it. We are going to do it today. But with a special guest as well from the Levitard universe, we'll get to him in just a second. 20 minutes, in fact, I believe, is our review of The Batman. We are going all in on this, baby. In terms of other new films, though, we'll do these ones quicker because some Oscar-nominated shorts, The Long Goodbye, Riz Ahmed, that's the favorite right now to win the Oscar, best live-action short, also On My Mind, which I actually liked quite a bit, and Affairs of the Art, that's up for best animated short. Best animated feature, The Mitchells versus The Machines. You're saying it was out a long time ago. It was, I finally got around to watch it. Pretty good jam, Danny McBride. That's also in our new movies. And our old film is a film, I'm telling you right now, it's the best Al Pacino, Gene Hackman film that you've never even heard of. It's from 1973. We're going to review that momentarily. First and foremost, a hello to Chris Cody. Chris, you did not watch The Batman as of yet, but, I mean, this is gigantic. It's everywhere in the universe right now. I am into this conversation that you and Mike Ryan had. It's got me excited. I don't want to give too much away, but I am into this. I want to see this movie. Without further ado, as he said, Mike Ryan's our special guest. You're going to enjoy this review of The Batman. As promised, the great Mike Ryan is here to help us out dissect the Batman. Obviously, we love Mike here on the pod. And first and foremost, man, congrats on the musical. Phenomenal job. I know you are a music guy, so this clearly was a labor of love. I don't know how you put all this effort into it, all the production. You are clearly a man in need of a vacation and some time off. But congrats on the musical. This was the year of the musical, Mike, as I'm sure you know in movies. We saw this with Cyrano and In the Heights and West Side Story and Tick, Tick, Boom. And clearly you added uh, your feather in the cap as well. So rank it. Where does yeah. the big game fall uh, <laughs> in with this amazing list of musicals? Because it is yeah. when the album drops here this yeah. week on Thursday, it's going to be classified as a soundtrack and as a comedy album. So <laughs> I, I'm coming for Encanto right now. I'm Lin Manuel Miranda. I, I'm I'm trying to make Greg Cody have a, a, a chart topping single. So you rank them for me. Where does the big game as an original musical event rank? Yeah in this year's musicals? Uh, it's an excellent question and one that needs further nuance, uh, but I'm going to go with Spielberg's West Side Story. It's tough to knock off Spielberg, but in fairness yeah, to you, it's a remake. Not original, though. No, it's it's a remake. So originality, the big game's got it right there. Um, tick, tick, boom. I mean, I've seen stories about starving artists. Andrew Garfield, great hair, but you've got good hair, so I think that's kind of a saw-off no. there. <laughs> oh, that uh, hurts. That's, that's, uh, Cyrano? You guys are definitely ahead of Cyrano. I don't need any... Listen, I give them the remix, right? I saw Steve Martin and Roxanne. I, I'm a will with Cyrano. The big game, much more original. And uh, In the Heights, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you've already thrown down your sword on him. Hamilton was better. So you know what? I'm not going to support B-grade Miranda versus A-plus Mike Ryan. All right, so I think that's first. Yeah, I, think I, I think he ranked us first. It's out now, right? Yeah. You said Thursday. It's today. I, for it to truly rank, and we need a visual component. I am hard at work at, at producing the stage version of the big game. <laughs> like, I would love this. God, now, now yeah. I have such an image of a stage version. Like, imagine Stu Gotts in rehearsals. Like, Bob Fosse. Oh, you've got Stu Gotts? No, no, no. I've got someone playing the role of Stu Gotts. If <laughs> okay. we want this to succeed, I've got, I've got Hurley from Lost playing Dan... <laughs> He may, he may have to gain some weight for the role. <laughs> We're going to bring back Chris Penn, the ghost of Chris Penn. Yeah. We'll, we'll exhume him from the grave to play Dan Levitard. Uh, let's talk about the Batman. As a music guy, 
among your many passions in soccer, and obviously you do know, know and love your movies, you've got to give me a music analogy here. I'm going to start with this. So the Batman, we have the Adam West version, which is very cartoonish and campy. We had Tim Burton's Batman, which was dark and gothic. Then you had Christopher Nolan's version, even darker, even more. And now this Batman is about as diseased and disturbed as it gets. The next Batman iteration, you know this is going to happen 10 years from now. Some other director is going to do it. It's literally just going to be a dark screen for three hours. <laughs> like Gordy Willis, very famously in The Godfather 2, shot the film. And at times, you literally can't see anything. It's just shadows. That's the next Batman version. We want it to be as dark as possible. How about just blackness? What do you guys think? I, just I, enveloping I, everything. This is where we're at I, right now. I don't think that they can get darker. They they had an entire shot lit by a flare in, in this in this film. Uh, wait, are we doing the spoiler alert? No, yeah, no spoiler. When, when we don't want to spoil it because we listen. Freaking uh, our boy Witty pissed off half the universe with the James Bond spoiler. So we're gonna try to be very delicate if you can. Mike. Okay. You. Well, I think I think lighting it with a flare. I think I'm still yes. playing by the rules, which you're is you're why fine. I just wanted to articulate that this is this movie is very dark, not just. Uh, uh, the the content that goes into right. this movie, but just how it's legitimately shot to the point right. that physically actions... it's so dark. I actually wanted some more lighting in the theater. Yeah, I think I. This goes to one of the the main criticisms of the film is that there's not enough action, and um, I kind of like that because we actually got to see world's greatest detective, and I don't think we've ever seen enough of Batman the detective to actually uh, honor the comic books. I, I love that this was a whodunit, and we got to see the world's greatest detective actually be the world's greatest detective. Part of what suffered was the action scenes, but I actually thought in what they tried to do in the action scenes is this is still a very young Batman. He is just starting his career as Batman. He is not this seasoned fighter. Oftentimes, in terms of hand-to-hand -hand combat, this Batman in particular fares a hell of a lot worse than any of the other ones that we've seen outside of getting your back broken by Bane in Dark Knight Rises. So I, I like some of that, and a lot of it's concealed by the lighting to the point that the action very much took a second, uh, a backseat to the story, which I actually liked. I and we'll get to where you rank it in the movie, in the history of the franchise and all that. But I always wanted to see this Batman, which was world's greatest detective Batman. Ultimately, I'm very happy that I got to see this portrayal of the character. We we're on the same page because I, I thought overall it was a very good film. And I appreciate the fact that you had an embargo on the Levitard show, saving this review for Cinephile. People were coming at you, but hey, listen, you can break down those calzones, that's fine, but you saved your review here. And I'm with you on what does the film do right? Well, I think it's a very good film in terms of, like you said, it's a detective story. It is not like a... We don't need any more origin stories. We got all the stuff about Bruce Wayne and how he became to be, although we get some of that stuff here. But we don't need just nihilistic violence. We need a detective story and just kind of the roots of what Batman is and solving the murkiness of the morass of the darkness that's around him that is Gotham City. You still get great villains. Paul Dano, right, scene-stealing role as uh, the Riddler, who's really just disturbed and, and mentally uh, Can't be as good as Jim Carrey. Can't be as good as Jim well, Carrey. Listen, Cody, we all love Jim Carrey, but I do not think that was his foremost work. We will get to the ranking of the Joel Schumacher, Batman oh. Forever. But the guy that I love, because again, we all go to the cast, and, and Pattinson was very good. I thought he was a very good Batman. No one wears a suit better than him in Tenet. Nobody's got better hair than him in life. And nobody's paler than him in Twilight. The biggest thing from watching this film, what we need for Robert Pattinson is a tanning salon. And I can't wait for the Joker to show up at some point to teach him how to smile. Because at some point, listen, I know life is gloomy, but come, Rob, Rob, life's pretty good to you. But the guy that I love, Casting-wise, there's two in particular I want your thoughts on. And I, this is a bit of a spoiler, so we'll give you five seconds here. Spoiler alert, maybe you don't want to ruin oh, this. You're allowed to you give don't spoiler alert. 
the Penguin. Colin Farrell is unrecognizable as Penguin. And he's yeah. playing Penguin. And I, listen, Mike, I'm partial to Danny DeVito. I loved him in Batman Returns. I know the film wasn't well-reviewed, but I thought he was a great Oswald Cobblebot. I am not a human being. I'm an animal biting the fish. He's just disgustingly deformed. But this Penguin, Colin Farrell's playing him like he's Al Capone. Like, he's a gangster. Yeah. Like, I loved his rendition of it. And, of course, you know, Cody knows one of my favorite, John Turturro. And so that's how John yeah. Turturro was in the way. I'm like, all right, hey, we got, we got some acting chops here, John Turturro. Talk to me about those guys. I think Turturro absolutely nailed the assignment. Uh, the, the Colin Farrell thing, it very much felt like just how it was positioned in the film and, and the performance. It was laying the foundation for this spinoff series that's going to HBO Max about the character. And it right. seems like there'll be something interesting there. I kind of found that the uh, the cheesiest moments in the film when they were really committed to getting this Gotham accent off the ground. <laughs> and there were some times that I was just laughing at the accent that came out of the Penguin and a lot of the uh, police chiefs that, that come along the way. So for right. me, it was a bit cheesy, but I do, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. And I think that they, they really laid the foundation for very interesting stories being told for him, but I don't necessarily think he was really interesting in this. Mm. Part of, part of what worked for me with Colin Farrell was just the shock value of, wow, yes. the makeup is incredible. Is that Colin Farrell? Right. But it, it, the general lifting off the ground of the Gotham accent for me kind of kind of bothered me a little bit. <laughs> so if you didn't know it was Colin Farrell, it was just some random actor you'd go, like, who is this slime ball? I don't think he's particularly notable. But because it's Colin Farrell playing it, who is a dashing Irishman who does not look like a fat, corpulent, sweaty gangster, you're like, hey, you know what? Okay, I give him credit. The makeup was actually really well done. Speaking of the action sequences, the one action sequence that was great I want to say it was maybe through the movie. It was two hours of the movie. It's a three-hour movie, if you're not aware. But that scene where Balin thinks he's got him and gives that maniacal laugh. It's in the trailer where he's like, ha, 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 I got gotcha. you. And then, boom, Batman comes with the fireball. That action sequence I did think was spectacular. The, uh, the, uh, the theater that I was in stood and applauded that, that one chase scene, which I, I kind of thought even this is the one main criticism that everybody has is the lighting it's it's so dark that the action is hard to follow and even in that chase scene i found it really hard to follow yeah they lit shots with the fire <laughs> it it's it was it was curious but i thought that it was a beautiful shot that they had uh, andrew luck came out there right. but there was a gorgeous <laughs> shot i think in a franchise that has a lot of iconic imagery yeah the upside down shot that's in the yeah. trailer this is mm -hmm. not a spoiler of yep. the batman walking from the wreckage towards the penguin and then the camera kind of flips i thought was beautiful yeah matt reeves definitely acquitted himself as a director who knows going into this i've got to live up to christopher nolan's trilogy and to be clear i don't think it matches christopher nolan's trilogy i don't even think quite honestly it comes within shouting distance but for those skeptical do we need another batman film we don't need one but was it enjoyable yes did it exceed expectations sure is it a little long yeah, we could use some trimming of the fat down to 230, perhaps. Felt like it ended about five times. But mm -hmm. I did think, in terms of sweep, epic scope, introducing characters to new generation, they hit the home run on, on all those counts. The, the mythology of the character is such that it's already been proven. If, if Warner Brothers had its DC ducks in a row for the 100th, uh, for the, I think we just came up on the 75th anniversary of the character or the 50th anniversary of the character, whatever. It was, yeah. it was a major landmark. Warner Brothers should have came out with a full slate of, here's four different takes on the Batman. You can have a comedy version that's campy, that's a, an ode to the 1960s, and you'll still watch it because you know and love all these characters. You can have the gritty detective version. You can have the over-the-top Tony Jaw-type action-type film mm -hmm. with, with Batman. The mythology is there that there is so many juicy stories to be told that I think that there's, and there's very clearly an appetite that yes. you can get away with 
hey, there's the Joker, and it's not even related to this this cinematic universe, and here's this take on the Batman. I think the audience is smart enough to to follow. I'm with you. If you hold it in direct comparison to the Nolan trilogy, say this was a Nolan movie, hmm. it would easily be fourth yes. in for me in terms of the Nolan films. That doesn't mean it's a bad film. That doesn't mean that I'm not satiated in some way because I'm getting a representation of the character that I've longed for. What does Batman as a real detective look like? What does Batman as an emo pushing 30 kid look like as he's just starting? <laughs> it was a representation of the character that I longed for. I thought Matt Reeves delivered on a lot of it. Could he have used an editor? Absolutely. Because I do think the runtime and, that, and, and the film's final act in particular yes, yes. really knocked it down a letter grade for me. Yeah, somebody asked me to go, when does it feel long in the middle sections? Because normally you think a film like this is going to end strongly, but I'm with you. The third act to me was where it felt bloated. I actually didn't check my watch the first two hours. It only started to lag once I was like, okay, where, where is this going here? And I'm like, okay, like I got it. Yep, Dano's nuts. The Riddler, here we go. I, I could have used a little bit more of a, a sweeping climax rather than one that was a little bit more drawn out. Speaking of actors, I did not think brought it, and I really like Jeffrey Wright. He's a good actor, and maybe it's just the role. Did not have much to do as Commissioner Gordon. He spends the entire film one note, huh? Huh? Just, just a <laughs> consistently befuddled Commissioner Gordon. What do you mean by that? What happens now? I, I hope yeah. that character gets a little more depth because Gary Oldman's probably sitting there going, what? What the fuck? Yeah. What happened to Commissioner Gordon? He's the stupidest police detective I've ever seen in my life. I, I think comedically, there was a, a Commissioner Gordon that I wasn't really used to seeing, and I think Jeffrey Wright had some uh, like some dry humor associated with that. I, I'd like to see that explored a little bit more with you. But yeah, yeah I was perple uh, perplexed by him. But the one that I was totally puzzled by, and I really like this performer, is I thought that this was by far the worst Alfred I have ever seen. And that's saying, <laughs> that is saying a lot, because Alfred is totally pointless in the Burton films. Yes. Totally pointless, and it's the same casting. I, what was the name of the actor? Was it Michael Goff? I, I'm, yes, I'm not exactly yeah. it was Michael Goff yeah. he, he was a holdover from the Burton films and he, he extended into the Schumacher he was totally useless he, yeah. he was not helpful you were worried whenever he would walk around on screen and even that representation of Alfred was better than the one that Andy Serkis did <laughs> It was, it was just, it was pointless to me and I know that they really were going for it in one scene in particular yeah. and he didn't hold my attention mm. I kind of lost what was said because it was so boring <laughs> A much more muscular, swarthy Alfred, it should be noted, by the way. Swarthy, but th th it was just like, hey, let's have a sexy Alfred. Okay, yeah. but what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Nothing much. We're going to hope that you care about this character because he's sexy. I, it's just, I felt no connection to it. I was, when the character, when something happens to the character in this film, I was like, oh, good, thank God. Less camera time, please. <laughs> Michael Goff, the only thing I remember about Batman Returns and his contribution is one scene Michael Keaton sips the soup and he goes, it's cold. And he goes, it's fishy swaz. It's supposed to be cold. I'm like, all right. Good thing we got Alfred about here. He which, which, the by the way, that scene in particular is like the most detective work we had seen Batman do prior to. It's just him <laughs> scratching a CD while Danny DeVito's like, I played this town like a harp from hell. That's the only time that we've seen the world's greatest detective be a detective. So I'm so happy that we yeah. saw this mystery unfold and we got to see what see when 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 if you're a fan of the comic books when batman's a, a member of the justice league he he does not have any superpowers hmm. he cannot fight the way that other people fight what is he better at than wonder woman what is he better at than aquaman what does he bring to the table what he brings to the table is he is the world's greatest detective 
And we have never, ever seen that. I didn't even know that. As like a casual Batman fan, I didn't know that that was like a specialty of his. There there was a whole comic book series on the world's greatest detective. So let's friggin' see it. And we finally saw it. And and I think that there's so much more to explore. I really want to see what Matt Reeves has. I'm a little concerned with some of the foundations that they were laying. I think the Penguin is interesting. Mm -hmm. But there are certain offshoots, without getting into spoilers, that I think... Well, we got a big one there at the end, yeah. Yeah, a couple of them... Got me a little concerned and, and, and missed the mark. I do think that there's a lot of feedback that they're receiving from this. And I think that the major issues are correctable. You can find an editor. You can make sure that the action sequences are a little bit better. You can make sure that the lighting isn't off-putting. But in terms of the ethos of the character, I think they absolutely nailed it. Yeah. And, and I'm really excited to see where this franchise goes. That being said, it's not one of my favorite Batman films, but I'm super grateful for it. This Alfred is dashing, by the way. Andy Serkis, Gollum, man. The guy's, he can kick some ass, all right? If, if, if Bruce Wayne's out of commission, Alfred can come in and whoop a few heads, okay? A couple more quick hitters. Dano, I just watched him on uh, Seth Meyers. He said, for research, he read four books about serial killers. He's yeah. an excellent actor. We've seen him in There Will Be Blood, Little Miss Sunshine. Do you Miss believe Sunshine. him? And I don't do believe, believe that, for the record. No, I, I think he leafed through a couple of chapters. Like, okay, John Wayne Gacy, pretty screwed up. Okay, I got it. Dano, you always worry about villains. Because you go, how much are they going to overact? But I actually thought he was a pretty good Riddler. I thought he was definitely disturbed and had a couple moments where he starts singing Ave Maria. And how about Zoe Kravitz's uh, was... Catwoman? Very sexy. Good chemistry Kravitz. with Robert Pattinson. I'm so happy. Kravitz absolutely nailed it for me, the performance of the film, yeah. I thought. Um Dano, it, it was right there for him. And you mentioned the Ave Maria A little thing. distracting at times. That, <laughs> that to me, look, this is a spoiler. Yeah. This is a spoiler. So Spoilers everyone be careful. Us. Yep. As a filmmaker and as performers, I do admire the balls to do an interrogation scene considering how Bale and Ledger did it. Yes. I mean, we're not that far removed from that. So when you are doing an interrogation scene, you, you better come correct and I was watching this, understanding the, the task at hand, because you are going to be held in direct comparison. You're not going to be better. There's just no way you're better than that Ledger Bale scene, so you got to make it different. And I thought the film kind of veered towards cheesy a little bit, and it was right there in that moment that Dano's performance kind of jumped the shark because it was scary. And I think that there is something to it where he becomes a, a cult of personality without giving too much away. That's truly scary because it's it's all too real, especially when you consider the real-life events that have happened surrounding the Batman franchise. I was actually surprised that they went there because that is really dark. I imagine the studio really pushed back on certain aspects of this Riddler character. But any time they try to drive it home, I'm always like, walk it back. Yeah. Because it was such a reserved movie. The pacing on it was... I thought kind of right outside of it being way too long. Mm-hmm. And whenever they tried to force the issue, like, whoa, this guy's crazy. I'm like, no, now we're heading into campy territory. Two more thoughts. One, I like the use of emo because I kept saying Pattinson's a goth. And as you corrected, no, the term is now emo, right? It's not goth. It's he been emo. It's, no, he's not, he's, he's not goth. He has yeah. the emo hairstyle, and emo's coming back in a big way. <laughs> uh, the, I don't know if you've seen this when we were young music festival and emo nights popping up in every major city. Yeah. Emo Batman was certainly not something that I expected. <laughs> I was happy for it. I do. Th- I, he needs to get a stylist for the, for the second film. <laughs> just, I, this is just a phase like all emo phases are just phases. <laughs> so please, commit yourself to being an actual Bruce Wayne. Because, yeah. well, again, I was happy to see this representation. <laughs> Who could, 
He's supposed where to be a player. He's supposed to be a ladies' man here. Doesn't yeah, look like it. Come on. Where's the ladies' man, Bruce Wayne? Where's yeah. the philanthropist, Bruce Wayne? Where's the person that has a, a very convincing alter ego? Because there's no way this party boy can be Batman. <laughs> Now he, there's no way he can be Batman because no one ever sees him. He's a recluse. So I hope that they try to, because I'm such a fan of Robert Pattinson, yeah. I hope he gets a stretch of character because he can certainly play a heartthrob and a sexy yes. uh, ladies man. I'd like to see him feel that portion of this character out a little bit. Yeah, you know as well as I do. Twilight made him a star, but he's been in some really good indie films. The Lighthouse, Good Times. Like he's an actor who's shown his chops, so I think he's looking to extend a little bit more. Last thought, since you're a music guy, let's end with the music. Just me? Kind of sounded like Star Wars. I was like, wait, this is like the, the really? Emperor's... Like at times, it's like the dun, dun, dun. Love the score. That, that forebodingness. I'm like, wait, am I, is this John Williams? Is it just me or did you get that too? I loved the music yeah. in this film. And outside of the, the original Tim Burton score by yeah, Danny, I Elfman, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman's I the best and, and they, the, with Zimmer, he, he had right. great films. Of, the, you have to nail the music yeah. in a Batman film. And I thought this one did that. Uh, they may have gone to the the Nirvana well maybe once too many times. It's yes, yes. one of the saddest songs in the history. But it is because of the added production that they made. They made a version of that song specific to this film. Right. I thought it worked. That song makes you feel ways, and it puts you right in that place. I thought the music direction in this film was exceptional. Yeah, it's a great Nirvana song, Something in the Way, which is from the Nevermind album. I was like, okay, because somebody whispered to me, and I didn't want anything, okay, hey, there's a little bit of Nirvana in the way. I'm like, all apologies? They're like, no, no, it's not all apologies. I'm like, okay. Mike, yeah. uh, it's not going to smell like Team Spirit. It's like, no, 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 you'll like it. And you're right. It's definitely used to good effect when, if you're a fan. Uh, Adnan, when LeBron left the Miami Heat for oh. Cleveland, <laughs> I played that song on every rejoin in because it was the saddest song that I could think of. So I am so happy that Matt Reeves also realized, hey, this is a really sad song that an emo Bruce Wayne would gravitate to. Yeah, he listens to the show. He's like, you know what? If Mike Ryan's onto something, I'm going to definitely use this song as well, too. I'm going to give yeah. overall three Maple Leafs. If you can indulge us, use the Maple Leafs scale. I'm giving it three Maple Leafs, which is a very good film. I rank them out of four Maple Leafs, as you know. I think three Maple Leafs equa equates to kind of like a B, B plus, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's where I'd put it. I, I agree. I co-sign your three Maple Leafs. And overall, the sentiment is please keep making these films. Please explore this character. If I want to see a different version of the Batman, Lord knows I have enough films to do that. Yeah. I am happy that this representation is there. There are a few tweaks to make these films even better. And I am so excited to see where all these characters go for Matt Reeves. The great Mike Ryan, as always, you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram. He's still going to be a very integral part of the Levitar show, but as he has tweeted, he's stepping back a little bit. He's doing some other things, including this musical, hitting everywhere on Thursday at the Big Game. Thanks again to Mike Ryan. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 
All right, great stuff there from Mike. A couple other reviews here. Carrie Darling at Houston Chronicle. Matt Reeves transcends the cliches with a masterful, often tense, and a noir's night twist on the mythology that ranks with Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight as the best of all the Batman movies. Wow. Slow down, Carrie. Clearly, Mike Ryan and I don't agree with that. Eileen Jones of The Jacobin. The Batman is both too dark and not noir enough. We need some more lights. At times, you literally can't see. Chris, it's so dark, I can't even see. It's all shadows. What's going on up there? Eh? Matt Reeves, is this my ignorance? Is he a big-time director? What else has he directed? How does somebody get this like big a project like this? Like Christopher Nolan, I remember when he got right. him, like, okay, Christopher Nolan. Is this is he in that elk, or is this like a, a big gig for him? Not a dumb question at all, because he is and he isn't. Meaning, if he's in terms of being like a quickly acclaimed director, no. Is, is he a director like Top Ten in America? No way. But has he made some gigantic movies that made a lot of money? Yes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War of the Planet of the Apes, Cloverfield. Uh, let me okay. in. So like he's okay. proven that he can make some serious money when it comes yeah. to some big budget movies. But you're right. He's not a household name here, but he's clearly making the most of his moment, just as Christopher Nolan did with extending the own Batman trilogy. So props to Matt Reeves. You'll have plenty more of that coming down the pipe. All right. Let's fire through some other stuff here. The Mitchells versus the Machines. A quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. It's a fun, entertaining kids' film, and I believe it should win the best animated feature at the Oscars, which are coming up. It's not going to win, and Kanto is the heavy favorite, but March 27th is going to be the Academy Awards. We're about, you know, two and a half weeks away from that moment, and uh, it's a really fun film. If you like The Incredibles a lot, it reminds me a lot of that movie, Danny McBride, one of my favorite comedic voices, he's in the film. Good cast. Olivia Coleman, she's up for Best Actress, uh, of course, for her role in the Netflix film. Uh, she's not nominated for Best Actress in The Mitchells vs. the Machines. You got John Legend, Blake Griffin, Colin O'Brien, Chrissy Teigen, Fred Armisen. But it falls in that classic, uh, Maya Rudolph, the classic story of, hey, parents have to unite. And what I thought was really smart about the movie is they really did an excellent job of demonizing technology. As the title implies, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, this is a world where the robots have taken over, and it's up to this last family here stranded in the apocalypse to save them all. So I found it to be funny and sweet and endearing. I recommend The Mitchells vs. the Machines. It's currently available on Netflix and it's nominated for the best animated feature. I'll give that one three and a half Maple Leafs. A couple other quickies here for you. The Long Goodbye. Riz Ahmed, you know he's one of my favorite actors. This is the favorite right now to win the Oscar. I know you're doing your Oscar pools. This is the favorite right now to win for best live action short. The story is this. Riz and his family are in the middle of a typical family day in their house whilst a far-right march plays out on the telly in the background, which eventually arrives at their front door, leading to a devastating outcome. It often raises the question, like, you know, Cody and I are not rich by any means, but if we could make an, a short film, like, how much money do you need to make a short film? The key is, you'd have to get a major actor. If you could get Ray Romano, who's a family mm. friend, you get Ray Romano and go, bro, I need you for a 10-minute movie. It's going to take us three days. Are you in? This is the best-case scenario. You get Riz Ahmed, who's been nominated for Best Actor. He crushes it in the movie. It's 11 minutes. I don't know what the budget was. I don't think it was that much. It's 11 minutes. I'm gonna, it's literally one, it's one scene. He's in a house. It's exactly what I just said in the story. He's hanging with his family. He's busting chops. All of a sudden, some crazy-ass racist cops come to their door, start attacking people, going after some brown people. And then the last two minutes, he just raps. Because he himself is a rapper, he's along with being an actor. He does like a three-minute rap, peace out. We need to find out the budget for The Long Goodbye, which, by the way, I really enjoyed. I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. But it's a larger jumping-off point for this. If Chris Cody and I could make a short film, how Let's much would it, it cost? Who wants to see it? I mean, you got me excited. I'm feeling motivated. I'm feeling inspired. I, I mean, we get, we get to, I know some people. We can make a short film. 
Let's get some ideas. And and oh man, you got. My well, listen, listen, listen. Right One name. Adam McKay, all right? McKay yeah. could point us in the right direction. Just how much are we going to need? You've been to his house. You were there for the Oscar nominations. Like, McKay, just let us know where to go. Do we start a GoFundMe, Kickstarter? Like, we'll, we'll get this done. Does it need, like, a beginning, middle, and end? Like, like you said, this was just one scene. We Bro, it's do one this. scene. It's him and his, I'm not a spoiler alert here. I'm not, I'm not, this is the movie. I just told you in the synopsis. He's <laughs> with his family. <laughs> Bunch of racist cops come, kick some ass, arrest them, punch them, shoot them. Riz does, like, a two-minute rap. Peace out. I'm like, yeah. Terrorism bad, racism bad. Stop stereotyping brown people. I'm like, okay, good movie. My Oscar Oscar. nominee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next nominee on my mind, which I got to be honest, I kind of liked it a little more than The Long Goodbye. I don't think it's gonna win, but it's a really sweet movie. Uh, Henrik wants to sing a song for his wife. It has to be today. It has to be now. It's a question of life, death, and karaoke. They're in a bar, and the husband is working on the the books. He's Typing in some numbers here. The female, I'm assuming is his wife or his partner, is there at the bar. And this guy walks in, looks depressed as hell. Pour me a drink. Okay. His only reason he kind of lights up, he goes, oh, is that a karaoke machine? She's like, yeah. He's like, oh, man. He goes over there. He's really excited to sing the song On My Mind, which I don't know where it ranks in top love songs, but pretty good song. Once you actually hear it, Willie Nelson, of course, famously did On My Mind. You're He's... always on my mind. Exactly. This is Cody's version. Very good. So he starts warbling. And there's like a technical issue. Like the, the karaoke machine drops off. They go, oh, sorry, I had to restart it. And it takes 15 minutes to restart now. Do you want another drink in the meantime? And he's like, oh, okay, I got nothing else better to do. This guy clearly looks like he's near the end of his rope. Okay, I had another drink. Okay, next shot, boom, let's go do some more karaoke. He starts singing the song. Pretty, pretty good voice. Like he's a big bearish looking guy. You're actually surprised. A pretty good singing voice here on my mind. And then the accountant comes over, the co-owner of the bar, unplugs the karaoke machine. And the woman's like, what are you doing? The guy's like, he's like, listen, I've got to work here. I'm trying to balance the books. I got this freaking guy singing. Like, come on, like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, I have to sing the song. I have to sing the song. And he's like, well, like, go sing it somewhere else, dude. Like, there's nobody in the bar, first of all. Go get your own karaoke machine. I've got to balance the books. And then he explains while having his drink, his wife, they're about to pull the plug on her. And he's like, her favorite song is on my mind. I need to sing that song for her. So... They go back, and this time the woman is recording on her iPhone. He sings the song. The accountant does not balance the books for five minutes. And the final scene is he's in the hospital, and he's playing it for his wife, who thankfully, I thought it might be very melodramatic, and she starts hearing the song and wakes up. But no, no, they, they played it straight. She's a vegetable. He's like, yeah, I'm just playing the song before we pull the plug. Lash out the sky. Sweet film. Like, it was sweet, was... depressing, but I'm like, on my mind. It was actually one of them. And again, bartender, though, you have a karaoke machine in your bar, and you're discouraging the only <laughs> customer you have at your bar? I mean, what a jerk. Right. I bet those you... books didn't take long to balance with how little people they got in there. I mean, jeez. You, you had one job. Just let the guy sing a song and we're out of here. He's like, no, no, no. You have one customer in the bar. It's closing time here. I gotta get the, I gotta get the book settled. All right. <laughs> Uh, last one, and this is a really weird movie. It's called Affairs of the Art. It is up for Best Animated Short. Barrels back in Affairs of the Art, which showcases one family's eccentric yet endearing obsessions with everything from drawing to screw threads and pet taxidermy. Again, people are wondering, where do you get these films? They're all on YouTube. Go to YouTube right now, and you can watch The Long Goodbye. You can watch On My Mind, and you can watch Affairs of the Art. It'll take you 30 minutes, and you can knock out three Academy Award nominees. Uh, this one, listen, I don't know what I can say beyond the fact it's just very strange. I mean, the, the animation itself is odd. The uh, subject matter is bizarre. Essentially, it is, as the title implies, affairs of the art about a woman using her art to convey her passion in life. But it's just strange. I mean, like, you know, there's like male nudity. She's like, drawing her husband. He's like, you know, fat and stuff. The, the last shot is very bizarre. But 
Hey, if art can be salvation, who am I to poo-poo affairs of the art? I'll give it two and a half maple leaves. On my mind, I'm giving four maple leaves. And a long goodbye, three maple leaves. That, three and a half, excuse me. So that concludes all of our new films right now here on Cinephile. One more film, and we get some odds and ends to clean up here. But I want to talk about a movie again. I said off the top. A Gene Hackman, Al Pacino movie you've never heard of before. And it's awesome. It was on TCM the other night. Shout out to my man Ben Mankiewicz, who is as good a broadcaster as it gets. When Alex Trebek was dying, somebody asked him, who would you like to have host Jeopardy? And he said, my boy Mankiewicz. Mank is so good. Why didn't he get the job? You feel like if Trebek says you should get it. I'm going to Google it. I'm pretty sure he said four names, to be clear. It wasn't like he was like, give it to Ben. Okay. Like, okay, we're good. I think he said four, <laughs> but among them was... Mank. Nice. And I was like, dude, come on, how is it not? Was Aaron so- Rodgers one of them? <laughs> it was not. I remember this was before Aaron Rodgers it does. He was like, eh, there's no Mayan Bialik in this list. He was like, no, I like Ben. I watch old movies. I like Turner Classic. But I like Ben Mankowitz. I'm like, yeah. Hang on, I'm going to get right for you now. Yeah, because then Ben, I remember, tweeted it. Of course, I follow. I text him. We were friendly enough. He knows my stuff. He's actually a big baseball guy. So we, we have uh, communicated. Big Oakland A's fan. He's upset about the lockout. Loves the A's. But he had, at the time, when Alex Trebek tweeted it, he put, what a nice thing to hear from the greats. But to your point, if the guy who literally has run Jeopardy is like, hey, I'm giving you three names, you'd think it'd be one of those three names. He did not say Aaron Rodgers on that list. It's like if Dan Levitard was leaving the show, it's like, all right, I'd like this person to host next. I feel like that person would get a good shot at being the host. <laughs> <laughs> One would think. Didn't work out that way. Anyways, Mank is awesome on Turner Classic Movies. What he does is, for those who are not aware of TCM, he'll introduce the film. So before the showing of the film Scarecrow, he does like literally a three-minute open to it. And you know as well as I do in TV, like less is more, right? you got to condense things. you got to make things interesting. It's literally just him talking. And again, the audience for this channel is what? 60, 70? Like, these are old movies, right? Um, so the fact that he's up there doing this, and the way he mentioned Scarecrow was, he goes, this is a film which came out in that really iconic era, 1967 and 1977, of great movies. But it, it was did not do well at the box office, kind of well fell down the, the rabbit hole. But over the years, more people have discovered it. And he goes, you've got two great actors, obviously, in Gene Hackman and Al Pacino. And apparently a little bit of friction on set, not in a bad way. It was just Pacino was the type he's always in character, right? Like once he gets into character, it's to stay there. Hackman very much is turn it off, turn it on. So at times it was just a different style. Like it's almost like with basketball. Like I've got a certain, I like to dribble. I need the ball in my hands. I'm like, all right, we're not really working here. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, here we go. So Hackman and Pacino didn't necessarily, this is one thing they get along, just different styles. But Pacino, I remember years ago, I was reading like an old premiere magazine. And they asked him like, who's the actor you most admire? I thought for sure he would say De Niro. Maybe Jack Nicholson, Dust Hoffman. He said Gene Hackman. He goes, bro, I love Gene Hackman. He's like, I think that guy's awesome. So uh, with that as backstory, here's what the movie's about. Good old-fashioned road movie. Who doesn't love a good road movie? By the way, Rain Man was on TCM the other day, speaking of road movies. But Scarecrow is about an ex-con drifter, that's Gene Hackman, a penchant for brawling, amused by a homeless ex-sailor. So they partner up as they head back east together. It's directed by a guy named Jerry Schatzberg. Schatzberg did Pacino's first big breakout film called The Panic in Neal Park back in 1971. He then made a little film you may have heard of called The Godfather, and then followed up with this film called Scarecrow. After this was Serpico, huge hit, and of course The Godfather Part Two. So Pacino has this incredibly fertile time of movies, but people forget about Scarecrow. Now, why do I like it so much? Because Hackman is playing Hackman, which as we discussed last week, nobody plays a kick-ass tough guy like Gene Hackman. He's an ex-con who likes to go to the bar, drink, and get into fights. I'm like, all right, here we go. And listen, who's yeah. playing that better than Gene Hackman? If but the shoe Pac- fits, wear it. Exactly. Dude, I'm born for this. I'm like, all right. Pacino's the revelation. This is not the Pacino you'd expect. His character, and this is a word I would never use to describe Al Pacino, he's silly. He's a clown. Like, he, he, the first shot you see him, Hack was at the bar. Like, Who's this guy? And he has like a little box. He's like, what's this? He's like, oh, it's for my kid. 
He's like, oh, boy or girl? He's like, I don't know. He's like, what do you mean you don't know? And Pacino starts doing like funny faces. Like he's doing like Charlie Chaplin stuff. Like what is this? What is going on here? <laughs> so they, they quickly become friends. And Pacino's character's name is Francis. And Hackman's like, ah, I don't like that. Like what, what's your full name? He says, Francis Lionel, whatever. He's like, I'm calling you Lion from now on. So Lion becomes his name. And of course, his character is Max Gene Hackman. So Hackman goes, listen, I just got out of the joint. All right? You seem like a nice guy. I'm going to let you know on something here. I am going to start a bunch of car washes. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a businessman. I've saved up money. I've got my little book here. I know I look like I'm kind of down the dumps right now, but I'm going to start a car wash. You can be my partner. And Pacino clearly comes across a very simple, silly guy to bar with a box. Like, eh, whatever you say, man. Like, all right, let's do it. And then so begins the road movie. And they've got to get from wherever they are to get to Cleveland? No, Pittsburgh. They've got to get to Pittsburgh. Pacino's got a mixed up in Cleveland. Now, as the movie unfolds, he tells them, okay, like, what happened? He's like, all right, I had a kid. You know, things happen, I left, but now I want to go back. And he goes, I've sent money to my kid over the time, but that's why I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Like, I've just sent money to the, my ex's place, and now I've got a present, and away we go. He's like, well, what's the present? He's like, well, I wasn't sure what to get. And clearly, again, these guys are a couple of homeless guys. They don't have much money. So, but she goes, like, I wasn't sure because it's not a boy or a girl, so I got a lamp. And Hackman, look at his face. He's like, you have a lamp in that box? You're carrying around <laughs> a lamp like for, for months on end right now. He's like, yeah, it's for my kid. I'm like, okay, well, good luck to you. So then, anyways, they get into a couple of bar fights. Hackman beds a couple of girls, which I'm like, you're basically a homeless man. Like, I'm shocked these women are going for him. But I guess tough guy, whatever. Like, he's going to shower, he cleans up, all right? Just got out of the joint. At one point, Pacino says to him, he's like, man, you really, you like to have sex or something like that. And Hackman goes, yeah. He goes, what'd you do in the joint? And Hackman gives him this look. It's so funny. Ten seconds of just like a hard stare, which is either he masturbated a lot or... He had gay sex yeah. and got a pass. But, but yeah. it's an amazing expression on his face. He's like, just stares at him like, all right, well, moving on. Which gets to a scene. So they're in a bar. As you know, Hackman, like, he's the type he just gets in a fight right away. He's kind of like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. You call me chicken, I'm going to fight. So somebody pisses off Hackman. Big bar fight. They get arrested. So Hackman's pissed at Pacino. He's like, it's your fault. And Pacino's like, well, how's it my fault? Like, we were at a bar. You like to fight all the time. We're now we're in prison. Like, whatever. And he's like, no, don't talk to me. Don't, whatever. And one of the other guys you can tell is a total shark, but friends Pacino. And again, Pacino is a sweet, sad-eyed little little guy here lying. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. So the guy's being nice to him, and I'm like, okay, he's definitely going to assault him. And at some one point, they're having some drinks down. They're drunk, and the guy. This is 1973. He says to Pacino, like, hey, come on, why don't you, you know, have a little fun with me? And Pacino's like, have a little fun. I'm having fun with you. What do you mean? Like, I mean, again, he's being silly, goofy, and stuff. He's yeah. like, come on, come on, let's let's have a little fun. And he starts to like try to grab him. She's like, hey man, like, what are you doing? Like, hey, like we're friends. He's like, come on, rocks. And then he goes, no, seriously, we're going to have some fun right now. You don't see a close-up, thankfully, but he unzips his pants, and Pacino says, I'll bite it off, you fuck. And then he grabs Pacino by the head, punches him in the face. But Pacino, because he's a sweet guy, is like, oh, my God, are you okay? And the guy just goes to town on like literally just beats the snot out of him. The next shot, and Hackman hasn't spoken to him. I mean, they've been in prison for like a week, right? Literally, Pacino's talking to him, and Hackman just will not look at him. Like, he's like, hey, don't you want to talk to me? Come on, Max. He's just like, no, I'm not talking. Don't talk to me. It doesn't say a word. He sees Pacino for 1973, pretty rough, like just a complete face of black and blue. He goes, hey, he tried to fuck me, so I had to teach him a lesson. I'm like, but he looks like a disaster. So it's a rare scene that I'm actually pumped up to see a guy get his ass kicked, but the next scene, Hackman goes to the guy, and you know he's just going to drill him. And he's like, oh, you think it's fun to beat up my friend? Just freaking dummies the guys. But all right, they get out of prison. This all leads up to really the emotional climax of the film, which is what's going to happen when Lion sees his ex. It's a really beautiful scene. They lead up to it, and they're about to go there, and then Pacino says, hey, let me just make a phone call. Let me just call to make sure the time's okay. And Hackman, in a very sweet way, the way boys will do, if me and Cody were out, you know, together and Chris had an issue with his wife, I'd be like, listen, Chris, you, you made a mistake. It's okay. These things happen. Like, dude, you're a good guy. Be there for your daughter. All good. She was like, all right, guys, just own it. Accountable. 
you left your wife. He's like, yep. He's like, you deserted her. <laughs> just, just, just make amends. He's like, okay, got it. Pacino <laughs> closes the thing. Calls, and this woman, now again, <laughs> I'm not supporting a guy leaving his spouse and the daughter. Might be one of the most evil women in the history of movies. Like, Pacino starts off just like, how are you? Like, how you been? She's like, where are you? Like, what do you mean? What, 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 what? I don't understand. He's like, oh, I'm just across the street. I'm, I want to come by. He's like, you want to come by? You left me, you piece of shit. You left me. I have nothing. And, and you see the kid at one point. It looks kind of like a little baby Pacino, like five-year-old kid, cute kid looking up, <laughs> watching. And he's like, you have nothing. Like, I'm, I'm fucking little. And Pacino's like, okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say hi kind of thing. And she seizes the moment, the way she can make this guy's life miserable, and she takes it. And he says, so what is it? And she goes, what do you mean? He goes, is it a boy or a girl? And she goes, it's nothing. And you cut to his shot of shock, and he goes, I lost the baby, Francis. She said, I was going to have the baby, but I was walking out, and I slipped, and I lost the baby. And it was going to be a boy, Francis. It was going to be a baby boy just oh for you. God. And they cut to a shot of Pacino. Eyes are bulging out of his head. It was a real interesting, because it's a foreshadowing of The Godfather Part Two, where famously Diane Keaton says, it was an abortion, Michael. It was an abortion. And again, Pacino goes bug-eyed, eventually slaps Diane Keaton. Here, his eyes are freaking eyes as wide as sauce. He's losing his mind. And she continues. She's like, it would have been a boy, Francis. It would have been a boy, but he's dead because you left. Because you left me, he's gone. You know that, Francis? And he's just so horrified, he hangs Jeez. up the phone. And then you see the sense of her being like, I've gone too far. She's like, Francis? Francis, are you there? And this is so well done. Hackman's standing there. Pacino opens the phone booth. And Hackman's like, huh? What do you think? And she's like, it's a boy! He's like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> he, starts, he starts jumping up and it's a boy. He jumps into Hackman's arms. He kisses him with the cheek. He's like, you're my best friend, Max. I love you. He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, let's go celebrate. She's like, oh, I'm so pumped for you. He's like, well, let's go see the boys. Like, yeah. like, Which, by the way, how can Hackman buy it? Pacino goes, I just don't think it's a good time right now. Like, she's busy, but like, it's a boy yeah. and like, whatever. We're all good. He's like, I know a bar. Let's go to a bar. Let's go celebrate. He's like, okay, sure. And then you see the shot of the present, which is obviously a lamp inside of it, just on the top of the hood of a car. Like, oh my God. And then he really loses it. They go, uh, allegedly, to a bar. The next thing you see them at, like, a fountain. And again, Pacino's climbing around. He's playing these little kids and stuff. But then he just gets weird. He goes in the fountain and starts trying to chase the kids and stuff. And Hackman's like, what's going on here? And at one point, he just starts screaming, like, maniacally screaming. Like, now we get full-throated out Pacino. He's been very subtle the whole film. Now he's like, ah, ah, just screaming. And Hackman's like, what's wrong with you? Like, he's, he's almost, yeah. like, drowning in the water. Hackman grabs him, like, what's, what the hell's wrong with you? And the next shot, very despairingly, they're in a, a sanitarium. And he's telling him, he's like, listen, your friend has is, is gone comatose. He's catatonic. We don't know if he's going to come back. And Hackman's like, what the f- What's going on here? Like, no. And it's really beautiful acting. You see Pacino just literally, you know, prone on the hospital bed. Hackman's like, what did she say to you? What did your wife say to you? Like, what? tell me, man. Like, come on. Like, I know you're faking. It's okay. Let's, I, got, I got the car wash. I got yeah. the money. We got to go to the car wash right now. Like, it's good. And Pacino's just obviously completely gone. And it's a really sweet scene. You see Hackman walk away. He's like, listen, I, I, I'm coming back for your line. Like, I'll get the money. How much money is this going to cost? He's like, the hospital costs will be very expensive. Staying in here. Like, he's mentally ill. He's like, no, I'll, I'll take care of you. He's like, I got you. I got you. And the last scene, which I thought that might be the last scene. I, again, I saw this like 20 years ago, so it felt like watching it again. I, I remembered very little until you'd see certain things. Okay, I kind of remember that. I kind of remember that line. But the last scene is he's trying to get bus fare to go back to Cleveland. No, they're in Cleveland. He's trying to go to Pittsburgh. And it's, let's say, $17 for the bus. And Hackman has like $12. And eventually he has to take his boot off. And you're like, oh my, this is disgusting. And he goes in, very old school, into the heel of the shoe where he opens it yeah. up. And there's like a $10 bill. He's like, yeah, there you go. 
There's your 10. <laughs> All right. And that's the last show of the movie. It's so well done because at times it is sad and pointed, but at times it's really funny. I'm leaving out the funniest scene for Gene Hackman. I told you Pacino's best scene. Hackman's best scene prior to him going to see his ex. They're in a bar, and again, this guy's like an old drunk, and he pisses off Hackman. I'm like, God damn it. And she's like, man, I'm tired of you. Like, you're always getting in fights. Like, enough of this crap. It's just to walk away. Hackman, no, wait, wait, I'm fine. He said, no, I'm out of here. He's like, okay, fine. Watch. Well, look what I'm going to do. And Gene Hackman, I mean, you must be able to Google this. Gene Hackman does a strip tease. It's hysterical. He has like five layers of clothes, and, and Pacino puts music on the jukebox. There's a Gene Hackman strip tease. He starts taking off one flannel shirt, one sweater, undoing buttons. The whole bar starts cheering like, yeah, yeah. At one point, he takes the shirt, and he's doing it like between his legs. <laughs> like He's like doing like a pony. I'm like, what is going on here? How has this movie not been more appreciated over the years? Do your best to go find Scarecrow. It was on TCM Turner Classic Movies. Great performances by Gene Hackman and Al Pacino. And again, Ben Mankiewicz huh. is so good. Ben Mankiewicz on the postscript said the film kind of really had, um, you know, it was revitalized over the years by people who'd seen it and appreciate it. And he said, I believe in 2013, Jerry Schatzberg said, I'd love to make a sequel to Scarecrow. It's been 40 years, and I want the sequel to be Lion Wakes Up. He finds out he does actually have a baby boy, and him and Max end up having a car wash in Pittsburgh. One slight problem, Gene Hackman at that point was retired. He has been retired from acting for over a decade. I believe his last film was the one with Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lady Killers? Not Lady Killers. Lady Bugs? What the hell it was called? It's with Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, it was Welcome to Mooseport. Welcome to Mooseport was his last film with Ray Romano, your cousin. And after that, Gene Hack was like, I think I'm good. He, now he lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. There will not be a sequel to, New, to Sarah Crow, but I just like the fact that Mank did include the director, did say that Pacino would survive the sanitarium. Chris has looked I, it up. Is it on I, YouTube? I'm, I am watching this scene of him doing a strip tease. <laughs> He's like whipping this jack around and it's just like a bunch of older people sitting in booths just like, oh, all right. <laughs> oh, just just a ridiculous, hilarious scene. I'm so glad it's on YouTube. Everybody right now, I, I always want you to subscribe and support Cinephile, but honestly, that's fine. Just YouTube Gene Hackman striptease Scarecrow. While you're at it, YouTube probably Al Pacino Scarecrow. You'll see the scene in the phone booth there. See how great his acting is. Uh, we're almost done. As we close up shop here, I don't know if Chris has ever done this. Maybe this is shameful to admit. I went to Barnes & Noble, and I picked up the new book by Bob Odenkirk. It's called Comedy, 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 Drama. And I start reading a few pages. It's 256 pages, short book, very slender. And I start reading a few pages, and I go, this is kind of boring. He's just talking about his life in Chicago, and his dad's an alcoholic, and he was on SNL, did a show called Mr. Show, which I know has a big cult appeal, but I've never seen it. It's with David Cross as well. I know I love him from Rest Development, but I've never seen Mr. Show. So I start leafing through it. I go, okay, a lot of this is Mr. Show, comedy. I'm like, I'm here for the drama. Like, I just love better Are you doing stuff. this in the Barnes & Noble? No, no, no I already bought the book. You purchased this and you got purchased home. Purchased the book, $26 went home. And I'm like, okay, let me look up Larry Sanders' show. I, I don't remember the last time I used an appendix. I went to the appendix, looked up Gary Shandling, and it says pages 110 to 113. Okay, let me go back. Two pages. He literally just says, Shandling was an awesome guy, yeah. complicated genius, as Judd Apatow has said before, was very nice and supportive to me, wish he was nicer to himself. Clearly was very hard on himself, perfectionist. I'm like, okay, I didn't, I didn't need 26 bucks to know that. I pretty right. knew that about Gary Shandling. Like, and then I go to the better, Breaking Bad stuff. And he, this, the only part that's funny is he's like, I'd never seen the show. When they cast me, they're like, hey, I'm just like a fast-talking lawyer. Kind of like the character played in Larry Sanders, who was a fast-talking agent. And he said it was a fun role to play, but I didn't think anyone was watching it. And he said, Breaking Bad, the first two seasons nobody watched. The third season, it started to pick up a little bit of steam. And by season four... All three seasons had been on Netflix. He goes, so then it just exploded. Now everybody's watching 
they've caught up on Netflix and they're watching it in real time on AMC. So he goes, I went from being a guy figuring I need the money. Like, it seems like a fun little show. And I don't know who the hell Brian Cranston is. He seems like a pretty good guy. And all of a sudden, now we're like movie stars. Now we're like, oh my God, like we're being mobbed by people. And he goes, Aaron Paul is loving it, Jesse Pinkman, and, and all the rest of it. But here's the problem one day when you write your tell all book, you can't just write a line about the person and say, John Amici was a very smart, thoughtful guy. You have to tell a story about John Amici. The problem yeah. with the book is he just says, Brian Cranston is a wonderful, generous actor. And he was always right. there for me on set. I'm like, okay, cool. You gotta tell me a story. Like, give me an example of his wonderful generosity. If you want to sell books, give me a, give me a story where he was kind of a dick. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Or give me something. Like, he had a tough day, but he did this. Then afterwards, he bought the crew right. cannolis. Okay, he's a good guy. He literally is just giving like synopses of each person. Like, he's a good guy. Uh, Better Call Saul. Racy Horn's an awesome actress. She's totally cool. She's really chatty, which is fun because I'm kind of quiet. I'm like, that's your big anecdote that she's kind of chatty and you're quiet. Like, okay. He's, he's, he's writing a book the way I review movies. It's like, <laughs> it was good. That person, they were nice. Yeah. Better Call Saul, <laughs> awesome show. I'm really grateful for it. I hope you watch the final season. I'm like, cool. Okay, sweet. I'm glad, glad we got around to that. I'm like, good, good lesson. So I went the next day back to Barnes & Noble. Our boy Rosillo called me. He's big on the, as you know, you and I don't, I don't like the phone, but I'd rather just text. But he likes to call. So he calls, and in the midst of the conversation, he goes, have you seen the new book about Mad Max, which is a film I love, Mad Max Fury Road, which came out in 2015. I said, no. He goes, the book just came out. I went back to Barnes & Noble, exchanged the Odenkirk book for the new book about Mad Max, which I will review in a couple weeks here in Cinephile. We're going to wow. try to get the author on. It's an awesome book so far. It's an oral history. So it's George Miller and Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy, all the rest of it. But as I'm exchanging the book, I figure I might owe a little few bucks. He's like, okay, did you want the difference on store credit or in cash? And I go, oh, what, what, what did I get? And he's like, $1.83. I go, <laughs> and I, I waited an uncomfortable amount of time just for him. I'm like, I think I'll take the cash. He goes, okay, I'll take the $1.83 cash wow. and the book, which is that much, is... much better. So check out the thought, new book. I would have thought, thought you go with the, the store credit. Yeah, I would, yeah I, you're right. I'm going to be back there again soon anyway. He handed you 82 cents. What'd you do with that? <laughs> That's actually a good point. $1.83. I'm going to throw the change away in my car. Like, I don't even know where it is now. God. Ugh. God. Blood, oh. Sweat, and Chrome is the title of the book. Another great book I just read called The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. More importantly, Rosilla gave me his contact information. So I'm going to book Chuck hopefully next week here in Snowfall. Maybe in a couple weeks, we have Dave Carger potentially coming up from Turner Classic Movies, colleague of Ben Mankiewicz. So lots of good stuff coming up here on Cinephile. Long way of saying, though, have you ever done that, though? Do you buy a book and then return it to Barnes & Noble? Because I treat it like a library. That's, they have a store policy. As long as you don't mess with the book, you can return it anytime you want. 30 days. <laughs> if I buy it, I'm reading it. So if, <laughs> if you had been me and been reading it, like, this book isn't really good, you would have just hung in there and like, well, 26 bucks. That's life. I probably would just stop reading. No, I've stopped. No, don't, I've not finished every book I've, I've bought. I, I right. would just – I would – Stop reading it, put it in my shelf, and maybe someday get to it. Yeah, again. just accept it. It was 26 bucks, yeah. whatever. At least I have it. Maybe one day I'll read it, and you're never I mean, I guess if I, and to your defense, if I was like, oh, I got to go, I want to go buy another book, I might, if it was within a couple days and I really didn't read it at all, like, I might do that. If it's, you know, you got inspired for another book while this yes. was still fresh in your mind. You yeah, the I mean? best part is when you have to exchange it, I believe you're supposed to give a reason. So he's like, I'm like, here's this book, I'm just exchanging. He's like, okay. And he goes, and I think he was looking for more. He kind of just goes, you're exchanging it. I'm like, mm hmm. And I think he wanted me to say I didn't like it or I, I was thinking it was another book or I made a mistake. But I'm like, no, I'm just uh, – I think it was very good. <laughs> You're allowed yeah. to return it just for not liking it. I would think there would need to be something wrong with the book. Yeah. No, as long as – that's why I never bend it. Like no, uh, no crevices, no creases in the yeah. book. You return it pristine. I'm sure go. one of those pages was bent a little bit. You no, rebel, no, I was you. very careful with rebel. it. Rebel. You rebel. <laughs> Would never do that. Uh, thanks once again to Barnes and Nobles and the, it's, not, it's not plural. 
Thanks to Barnes & Noble store policy. And thanks so much to Mike Ryan for his reviews of The Batman. Thanks to all of you. I've seen a lot of options, by the way, for great actor or great role. So people heard me saying, I don't think you guys liked it. We've got a few here. So Chris and I will go through it. We'll do it in the weeks to come. I saw one, Sam Rockwell, three billboards outside Emmy, Missouri. I think it's a great performance. I'm not going to argue he's not a great actor unless Chris wants to argue it. There's a couple other ones in there as well. But uh, thank you for sending those. Tweet me as well. Cinephile Pod, let me know. We'll do great actor, great role in the weeks to come. And I will see you at the movies next week. My old movie, I just watched it again. I love it. The Wrestler. Great film. Mickey Rourke, Darren Aronofsky. And now, very poignant, because now that I've worked in WWE, I'm like, yeah, kind of like an inside track here, the world of wrestling. Uh, and as far as new movies are concerned, new shows, my wife and I binge watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. All eight episodes available on Amazon Prime. That's coming up next week. I will see you at the movies. 